Scripture this morning comes from the chapter of Mark, uh, the first chapter of Mark, verses 29 through 39. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out the demons. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Well, good morning and welcome. One of the things that I wanted to just ask you to pray about today and remember today is that this is a day that our neighbors and friends across the street from Westminster will be celebrating and being in their new building officially. I plan to go and be one of the representatives of Parkway, but uh, it's at 3.30 this afternoon. Uh, And so we celebrate their journey. Uh, I can imagine what it would have been like the first time you worshipped in this room. I remember coming to a, uh, an, an uh, event here during Lent, a musical event, when this building was not completed, but we walked through it to get to the sanctuary. Uh, so let's celebrate with our friends at uh, Westminster today. If nothing else, set your clock and maybe it'll go off and you can say a prayer of thanksgiving for them. Just wanted to remind you of that as being a good neighbor this week. Um, went to my first experience uh, yesterday, uh, the Mardi Gras parade here in, in uh, Hattiesburg. My boys had never been to one, and I thought, what a good place for them to go to a parade and have fun. Saw lots of you there, caught a few beads from some of you, so thank you. Uh, and if you're here and you're new to, to Parkway, uh, this church is an amazing ministry. Uh, we open our doors. We want people to be part of who we are and the ministry of, of uh, hospitality and care and concern uh, is a hands-on face-to-face experience. And I'm grateful for uh, the way in which you uh, share in this moment. But there's one other thing I want you to do before I begin my sermon. I want you to join me in praying for this city. The leadership of our city, the city council, uh, the mayor's office, those in the community uh, have had issues. I'm new and I'm late coming onto this scene, and I acknowledge that. I attended the city council meeting this past week. I was invited to pray there. Um, but before I could pray for the city council, the meeting was ended. And I was in the room, probably the only Methodist in the room, um, but I stayed. And I had the opportunity at some point during the moments that followed to offer a prayer. I want you to continue praying with me. If you've seen the 
paper this week. Uh, it's going to get uh, just, it's getting uh, un- ugly, I guess, in the simplicity of the word. I know that our church's history in this community is strong and rich. I know that there was an appropriate time when, when Eddie Rester wrote a letter to the editor uh, after an election. So this church has voice. But I'm counting on you to pray for everybody involved. I, I stood on the streets yesterday uh, and looked all up and down Hardy Street. And there was Hattiesburg. Black, white, brown, purple, green. All of us at a pagan parade <laughs> having fun. And so I, I invite you to have a spirit of prayer because I think God cares about this city and he cares about our, our relationships with each other. And we, uh, we understand that we all, all don't have to agree. But my friends, you are the yeast in the, in the wheat And when we go out, we're still the church. In fact, we're probably more the church when we leave this place than we are when we're gathered. But would you join me? And I'm not talking about just for a week. I'm talking about put it near the top or at the top of your prayer time to pray for this city and to pray for unity in the midst of community. That'll preach, by the way. Thank you. Thank you very much. This is the season in the church called Epiphany. And though we don't wear liturgical colors in this room and we don't wear robes in this room, it's still the season of Epiphany. And Epiphany falls right after Christmas. And the stories that come out of Epiphany are stories that begin at Jesus' baptism. And the whole season of Epiphany is about looking at the ways that Jesus discovered His gifts, his graces, his ministry begins. He calls his first disciples. He he performs miracles. He drives out demons. He does teaching in the synagogue that somebody said, we've never heard this before. It is really an amazing word, an amazing time in the beginning of the calendar year, but it's it's a way in which we as Christians can wrap our stories around Jesus' stories. And that's what's happened here in Mark. We're in Mark We were there last week. We're still in chapter 1. And we're going to go to verses 29 through 39 today and followed up next week. As I was preparing this message this week, I read an article by John Lawrence. And it was very helpful in understanding some of the background of Mark's gospel. And this can be helpful for you as you read the entire gospel, perhaps during this year. The first thing we need to know uh, in Mark's gospel is there is an irony Jesus' ministry is public. Well, that ought to be as plain as the nose on your face, perhaps. Everybody can see and hear his teaching and his healing. But the point that Mark makes time and time again in his gospel is that very few people get what's going on here. The audience in the gospel sees and hears, but they fail to understand. And oftentimes it is the disciples who are most blockheaded or dim-witted or unable to see what's going on. But these healing and teaching stories are not random snippets of Jesus' ministry or they look like some scrapbook that you open up and go, remember when? Not at all. This is an amazing story. That's why we've used this word in the series. It's carefully woven 
to reveal and to discover who Jesus really is so that you and I, as we read these stories, might connect his stories to our stories and that other people may know his amazing presence and his persistent desire. Did you hear it in the text a while ago? I must go. I must go. His persistent desire for all people to experience the good news. This persistent Jesus seeks to reveal a new community. It is the community which we refer to over and over as the kingdom of God. And this word, this kingdom, means that this is the world that God really intended, as it ought to be. The one that we prayed for just a few moments ago, thy will be done, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And this kingdom begins in the margins of society in John's gospel. If you go to the very beginning, it says the beginning of the gospel in Mark. And the first big event is Jesus' baptism. It wasn't in the temple with Jesus' family. It was out in the wilderness by the Jordan River. It's away from the Jewish world of purification and rites and rules and laws. And what do those laws exist for? They exist, my friends, to exclude. They expose who's in and who's not. They condemn with legality rather than include with grace and mercy. Therefore, Jesus is persistent in his ministry to include, not exclude. In our text today, Jesus is persistent to restore persons in communities and in individuals' lives. The system that folk had known before was the system of purification. Being righteous and being good enough so that their sacrifices in the temple and in the synagogues would be acceptable to God. In our text today, Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law. We don't get the details of the healing, but suffice it to say that it is related to restoration, not just her body, but to restore the whole household. She was the matriarch of the household. And in Eastern society, the head matriarch was in charge of all the other women and the servants and the slaves. And without her role there, the household was out of order. She was entertaining guests. She had Jesus and some of the other disciples that Simon had brought home with him. There would have been other women to take her place, but her household was made whole and healed. This marks Jesus who is persistent. Jesus comes to establish his his kingdom, but he comes within the context of Judaism. You may remember some stories where Jesus refers that I've come to the house of Israel. I've come within to restore this lost sheep of Israel. Other references are made in the gospel. One of my favorite stories we're going to get into in a few weeks. It's a story you may remember when this young man drives up with his entourage. He's called Young and Rich in Luke's gospel. 
And he comes up to Jesus and he says, Oh, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Remember that story? And Jesus says to him, Have you kept the commandments? Honor your father and mother. Jesus is doing his work within the bounds of Judaism. You may remember the response. Yes, I've done this. And then Jesus says to him, okay, then go and sell your possessions and give all, everything you have to the poor and come and follow me. Jesus offered him a way to be generous and to simplify his life in the context of his religious experience. See, these stories in the Gospel of Mark are signs that Jesus wants to restore Israel. These are stories of unfolding revelation. He wants to include people because he believes that is the intention and way of God. But the tradition of this religion is so strong. They knew those seven last words. We've never done it that way before. There were so many rules that the, that the tradition and the scribes and the elders and Pharisees had added in Jesus' day to the religion that their religion was almost as, oppress, as oppressive as the society under Roman rule. But Jesus, when he healed someone, when he taught somewhere, created a threat. His words, his actions, the response of the people, the word spread like wildfire. That threat collided at his arrest, at his trial, and his crucifixion. Hear this. Jesus died because his persistence was unwavering to live the life of the kingdom and invite as many who would follow and join. This was not some divine plan to appease and satisfy an angry God in heaven. My friends, our salvation comes from his life, even in the face of his death. And it's because God's grace restored not just Jesus' life, not just Israel's life, he restored your life and my life in that moment. And that is the cornerstone of our discipleship and our faith. He included the whole world. Not just good folks. Not just the chosen folk. He included the whole world. I've been wrestling this week with ways in which I intentionally or unintentionally exclude people. These are things that I struggle with. I don't know, but you may hear them and overhear them for what it's worth. Perhaps a better word rather than exclusion is prejudice or prejudging folk. And I have to be honest with you, it's not a lot of fun to stand in front of the mirror and look into your soul and let your fears and self-righteousness be exposed. See, I exclude people sometimes because of the color of their skin. I sometimes exclude people because of their accent and the way in which they talk. I exclude people on the basis of their social status, their behavior, and their expressed attitudes. 
I sometimes exclude people because I'm fearful of them. I've excluded people before because they're not our kind. I've excluded people because I assumed that they probably would not accept me if they really knew who I was. And much of my fear is based on shame because I don't feel worthy. I've been hurt. I've been criticized, sometimes rightfully so and sometimes not so. It makes me defensive. And all this stuff inside can create a big wall. But you know what I've discovered? As early as this morning in my prayer time, Jesus still keeps calling. He will not let go. He comes and he looks at me when I look in that mirror and I want to turn away with what I see sometimes. But not Jesus. He won't quit calling. His grace finds ways to interrupt and break into my life. And it is amazing. But the obstacles still follow just as closely. I heard this story and I'm reminded of it this week that calls me back to words of baptism. Ben was born in the hills of East Tennessee. His mother had gotten pregnant out of wedlock and everybody in that small town knew how Ben had been born. His mother raised him alone. He never knew his father, but he assumed everybody did. And he knew what people who were raised right called boys like him. It was a word. That word settled deep in his soul. And he never felt included. And oftentimes the cruelty of his childhood reinforced his sense of unworthiness. He felt like people were looking at him with content or smirking anytime he walked down the sidewalks of that street when he was doing an errand for his mama. And you know what was saddest of all? Most of those folks were church folk. He wondered what it was like to go to church. And he wouldn't go to church in the churches in town, but he went up, to the, up on the side of the mountain to this little church, Laurel Springs Christian Church. And he would stand outside when the weather was good and listen to them sing. Oh, they could sing. And then he, he would stay around sometimes and hear the minister preach. He was a great big man with this great big booming voice. Didn't need electrification. And after a few months that led into a year or so, Ben decided that he'd try to go into church but sit on the back row so he could sneak out. And he did. He would go in and he would sit over so he could get near the door and slip out when they started singing the last hymn. One Sunday, though, 
the preacher was preaching and ended up his sermon right in smack in the middle of the aisle at the door. And they started singing to him and Ben was trapped. He couldn't go anywhere. And he was scared to death. He just knew somebody was going to recognize him and say, I know who you are. I, I know who you are. He tried to go towards the front of the church, but he couldn't. The people were in the aisles and he couldn't. So he just thought he'd get in the crowd and slip out and behind the preacher and be gone until he heard this voice. Hey, boy. Hey, boy. And he felt this big old hand on his shoulder. And he turned around and he saw this big black beard and white gleaming teeth and hair of the preacher. He said, yeah, boy, I know who you are. You're a child of God. Ben said he had a swat on his backside as he turned out the door and said, go out there and live like it. Now the story's told in Tennessee history that that boy born without a daddy, raised by a mama, served two terms as the governor of Tennessee. You see, God doesn't quit. Grace finds a way when we yield to its amazing persistence to include and restore lives and communities. I pray God will continue to persist in your life. I pray that you'll experience his presence and find healing and restoration to the broken and weak places where hurt and disappointment and disease have played havoc. It's my prayer that our city and the larger community would know this same healing power. I pray that the brokenness of trust and integrity may be healed. That may be naive. Perhaps it is. But you know what else was said in the Bible? That nothing good ever came out of Nazareth. I opt to trust his persistence rather than my doubts. How about you? Let us pray. Dear God, thank you for never giving up. Thank you that you keep calling. You keep searching. That your grace sometimes slips in the back door 
And at other times, it shatters the front window. There are folk in this room today, like me, who need to know your healing touch. Places in our lives that are not yet there. We have fears. We have uncertainties. We have wounds that go deep. But we give thanks that you don't fix it for us and interrupt us to our detriment. But that you come with the deep healing waters of baptism and love. Help us to forgive ourselves in places where we need it most. Help us to forgive other people. Not to forget, but to use wisdom and and discernment. Thank you for this word today. To remind us that you've come to include. You've come to restore. You've come to bring life everlasting. Those who are here who have doubts, love them even more. For those of us who are grateful and who want to give thanks, may we find ways to express that to you that would give glory to who you are and give us encouragement to live today, to live today with your blessed assurance. In Jesus' name, amen.